And even if I go and I do it perfectly and it's not funny, I want you guys to laugh hysterically. Just for me. Thank you, Pastor Ray. <laughs> that was a joke. Just kidding. Okay, so there were three young men that were on the playground. And the one braggingly says, my dad is so awesome. Listen, he is so awesome that he writes, he takes a piece of paper and a pen, he writes some words down, and they call it a poem, and they give him $100 just for doing that. The second young boy said, oh, that's nothing. My dad is so great. He takes out a piece of paper and a pen, and he writes out beautiful words, and they give him $500 because he's writing a song. And then the third young man says, oh, guys, that's, that's nothing. He said, my dad is so amazing. He gets out a piece of paper and a pen, and he writes down these words. They call it a sermon, and it takes eight people to take up their, the offering. Okay, see, I, I kind of flubbed that up a little bit. But that's all right. You guys get the point, don't you? So, you know, I, I, I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture here. This is in Deuteronomy. This is a moment in the history of Israel when they are, they've, they've kind of gone through the wilderness and they've come to a point where Moses has given his last commands and he, the, he's kind of setting them up as they prepare to go in to take their land. Right? And as Christians, we, we want to go in and take our land. We want to possess the promises of God, right? Right? So this, so this is in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse six through, 4 through 6. It says, After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, The Lord has given us this land because we are such great people. No, it is... Because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. That's powerful right there. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive the, these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this land, because you are good, for you are not. You are a stubborn people. Man, those are some sharp and some powerful words. And again, I think I've expressed, I, I often refer to the children of Israel because it just speaks of the journey that we are on in our Christian walk today. And it's so amazing how much is relevant to us with where we are in our walk, and it parallels. And so I think a couple of weeks ago I expressed that the children of Israel, I used to look at them as like those bad, bad, stubborn people. But then I started looking at my own life. And how many of us know that our God is good to us? He is so good to us. And so as I read that passage, I'm just amazed that God is willing, not because of their goodness and their integrity, but he's willing to push out because he proclaimed something and he made a promise, but also because of the wickedness of other people. And I just look at our life and I just wonder, just what does God have for you and I? You know, we know that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just, right? 
And so too often, I just want to give us a word of caution here because we think, oh, God blessed us because, hey, look at this. I mean, come on. But really, God is just saying, it's just my goodness. And so I just want to encourage us tonight to look to him. And I just want to, you know, I, I, I think um, he is deserving. He is so deserving. He is so righteous. And the love, as we sang tonight, is such, it's so strong for us. And I ask this question, will there ever be a people on the earth that gives him the love that he deserves. We celebrate, we sing about, we, we talk about, we praise the love that he has towards us. But I wonder in my heart, will there, will there ever be a people, not a person, a people that will ever give him what he deserves? And that's my heart. And, you know, I, I know we're humans, and I, and I think that, you know, I mean, God looks at us and and um, he understands that, but he also wants our heart. And so as we, tonight, as we look to give, not that we're going to give because what we give is something that is so amazing, but let's give out of heart that is desiring to give him what he deserves and what he longs for. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And I pray, God, that we would be a people that learn to love you the way you love us. And, God, we just pour out to you from, from gifts out of, a, of a, out of a heart that is just longing to serve you and longing to love on you more and more. Take these, these gifts, this money, multiply it, bless it, Father. Bless your people, I pray, in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Don't you love that man? <laughs> We're blessed. Okay, I'm going to do, Tim and I are going to do announcements. You ready, Tim? What are we doing first? Okay, Spirit Night. Yeah! We're doing a fundraiser for the, for the uh, Children's Church. So if you will go into Chick-fil-A tomorrow night from 5 to 8 and have dinner or buy just something, a portion of the proceeds goes towards our church children's program. But you've got to have one of these flyers and or you can go on to your app that everybody has downloaded onto their phones, right? Yeah. If you haven't already, come see me. I'll help you. But you can go onto the app or you can go onto Facebook, anywhere that you can find um, this being advertised. Or you can come and get one of these flyers. And if we use these up, we've got more. But you've got to take one of these in to show which, why you're there and that you want them to um, respond to your purchase and give money towards our children's church. Next. Ha. We're doing the breakfast uh, fundraiser for the Family Worship Center um, safety team. You know, I appreciate them so much because they, they meet, they agree on how they're going to keep us safe, how they cover our church. They walk the parking lot. They're just covering constantly. They're, they're just looking out for all of us, and it's just so well worth the effort that we respond to what they're trying to do. And what they're doing is buying some just safety equipment, that, that heart machine defibrillator, you know, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. So anyway, and it's going to be good. I guess, who's cooking? Jeff, Linda, it's going to be amazing. French toast, right? And bacon and waffles. 
strawberries, <laughs> coffee, tea, who knows. Anyway, um, apparently we can eat either in the morning or have brunch afterwards. So plan on having breakfast with, the, with us on Sunday, supporting the safety team. God bless you all. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Have a good evening. Amen. Isn't God good? I want to start a new series that I don't, I'm not going to rush on. I'm just going to take my time because I feel like it's so important for us to catch it and learn it and grow in it. And I, I just, I felt like this uh, as I was sitting there, the, I just share a story. Some of you know the story, but it was in the mid-1990s and God was really starting to move in Toronto, Canada. And I'd heard about that, and I was desperate. Now, I've been desperate for many, many years. I've been pastoring for almost 40 years, and I was just desperate. I knew that God wanted to do something new in the church. I wasn't satisfied with church as it is. Amen. How many of you just, sometimes you just want more? And I was, I was hungry. And so I heard of this great outpouring where God was doing something spectacular and fantastic. And so I, a friend of mine and myself, both of us pastors, we took off and went up there for three days. That's all the time I had that I could go. And I got up there, and it was very unusual in that, you know, the way they were running services. Basically, it was 24 hours a day, and they had music going, different groups that volunteered, different people that sang. Uh, there was prayer going on. Uh, everything was spontaneous. There was really no order to it, so it didn't last too long. It, it went for a while, but it had great impact. There was very little order, so... You never knew who was going to be preaching. They might preach at 2 a.m. in the morning, or somebody might be preaching at 7.25. You know, you just never knew. It just was how it was going to flow. They was just in a flow, like, a, you know. And it, that, that works great for a while, but after a while, anyway. So I had gone there, and I was excited to be there, and I wanted God to do something. I was serious with God. I, I really wanted to hear from heaven. And there was a lot of people praying, and there was people doing all kinds of things, and, and yet I, I wasn't feeling nothing. I, being honest with you, I wasn't getting what I wanted. I was praying. I was down before God. I had been fasting for seven days before I got there. I was not eating while I was there. I was on water only. I was wanting to, the Lord to touch me. And, you know, I was watching as God was touching other people, not like I expected, but they were being touched. And you know, people from the Church of England were there, a lot of, a lot of Anglicans. It actually shifted the whole Anglican movement in, in Europe. Was, was shifted out of that Toronto Revival things that were happening. And it was just, I wanted that. And so I had been there. It was the last day. I was, it was late in the evening, and I had felt absolutely nothing, to be honest with you. And I was there. I said, God, I'm desperate. I knelt down in the middle of a big room. His room was always probably as big as this, and there was no chairs or anything in there. There was a stage. And I knelt down to pray, and I was just praying, just speaking in tongues, just praying. And uh, up, I, I heard this noise, and I smelt frankincense or something walk by me. And, and so I look up, and there's this guy, I mean, it almost looked like Santa Claus. His suit was red, had this white fur trim on it. He had all these chains, big crosses, big old hat. I, I guess he was Russian. My guess was he was Russian, which I guessed right. But he was Russian of some kind of orthodox, some kind of something. And so, you know, he's a big fella. And he just came clanking by me, and I couldn't help but notice the smell and the sound. And he knelt down just like right there at the corner of the platform, just a few feet from me. And, and so I continue to pray, and pretty soon he's praying. And all, I couldn't help, he had a boisterous voice. I couldn't help but hear what he was saying. 
And so as I was listening to him, I'm telling you, I still get goosebumps even sitting here telling you about it. The words this man used were the most incredible words I've ever heard in my life. They were English, but they were deep. It was, it was revelatory. It was, it was like deep to deep. I'd never heard such a beautiful prayer in all my life. I can't even repeat it to you. The words, the way it, it, it wove together, just it was like it was better than any poetry or love song you'd ever heard. I, it was incredible. And this guy prayed and prayed, and for 10 minutes, I was just silenced and listened to this man pray. It was beautiful, stunning. I was stunned. And I actually said, God, help me learn how to pray like that. I mean, it was incredible. And in a moment, he stopped, started speaking in tongues. I spoke in tongues for a little while longer, and by this time, I'd been down on my knees for hours. And I, my knees were hurting, to be honest with you. I got up. And I walked out into the foyer to get a, a drink at the drinking fountain. And John Arnott, the, the, the revival, the pastors of that revival were John and Carol Arnott. Uh, they were the leaders of that vineyard church that was having this revival. Anyway, I walked out, and he was there. And he, and he just said hello, and I said hello. And he said, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing all right. He says, if God touched you? I said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. The most powerful thing that's ever happened to me just happened out there with that guy. right. And I pointed to that Russian guy. And he goes, man, wasn't that awesome? I said, did you hear him pray? He goes, man, do you know he doesn't speak English? This guy had prayed the most beautiful prayer I ever heard in my life, and he doesn't speak any English. I was listening to the Holy Ghost pray. I had never heard anybody do it like that. I'd never been in that setting like that. It was the most profound words you have ever heard in your life. It shook me to my core. It, the whole trip was worth it just for that experience. And so it, it, this guy was powerful. And and, but what I'm trying to say to you, all the way back in 1994, 92, somewhere, I, I'm not sure of my dates, but back there in the mid-90s that was happening, there was a hunger in my heart, and I was feeling God shift things back then. In the 90s, God was starting to stir up the prophetic movement in a new and a fresh way, not that it had ever gone anywhere, it just hadn't been alive in our culture. And I, I, he was stirring up apostles, but they weren't coming out. There was an apostolic movement that wasn't happening yet. But it was because they, they, everybody called everybody pastors. Just even today, it's comfortable for you to say Pastor Ray or Pastor somebody, but it's a little more difficult for you to say Apostle somebody. It's just not the common culture or words that we use, yet they're biblical. Okay, and so it's something that we're not used to, but it's, it was there and God was beginning to build it. And so I want to talk to you in the next few weeks about church as you've never known it before. Because I believe God wants to do something new. How many of you believe that? How many of you are ready for that? Something new, something fresh, something different. I believe we're living in the most intriguing time ever for the church. I believe this is an amazing moment of history that you and I are in. I really do believe that. I've, uh, visions are coming alive that haven't happened since back in the dark ages. People are having dreams that are incredible. God is speaking. The miraculous is moving. I just got an invitation. I need to show Pastor Nevin about it from, from a guy named Pastor John in Pakistan. As, Pakistan, as far as you can see people, seas of people, and they're asking us to help and train them and do anything with them, Skype anything with their pastors. There's something that God's doing that's so fresh and so different the worship, the, the sound of worship today is, is, is um, uh, at a new level. I, that's all I can say. It's just a new level. I mean, that song we sang, The River Tonight, that was beautiful. There's just a new, fresh sound. There's a shift that's happening, and, 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 and I want to be a part of that. 
Amen. I, I want to be a part of that. I hope you do too because that's where I'm headed for. Amen. I'm going straight after it as fast as I can get there, headlong, straight forward. And in this new movement, though, I understand, and I'm going to try to make it as clear as I can over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about how to activate things. We're going to talk about engaging principalities and powers. We're going to talk about tribes and unity. We're going to talk about intercession and warfare. We're going to deal with some pretty intense things these next few weeks. Are you ready for that on Wednesday nights? So I just want to kind of lay this out. But you've got to understand as we start, it's not a one-man show. It isn't Pastor Ray. Okay, the whole thing is not just a pastor anybody, but it's going to take a whole group of people, and especially the five-fold ministry to operate to keep this thing alive. What I believe God wants to do is give us more revival than we've ever experienced before. I believe God wants to give us souls by the droves. Souls and converts and people coming in. I'm not talking about shifting sheep from one congregation to another. I'm talking about brand new, amen, people getting saved. God touching their lives, God doing something special in their lives. And when that happens, there's a lot of things that have to happen with it. I was in the Jesus people movement. I was there when the hippies, we sat out in the grass and, and strummed the guitars and sang the kumbaya. Okay, I was there, I saw that. But the problem was there was nowhere to go with us. The churches weren't ready for us because we had hair that touched our ears. And we had holes in our pants and marijuana joints in our socks. And they weren't ready for us. And so they quickly tried to rally. And they quickly tried to get discipleship to happen. But, but it was really it was too late. So they, they began to be hyper-shepherding. They got a little too hard on it. But, but what they missed is because there was so much need, that it, it caused pastors to rise up. Because pastors tend for the sheep. They needed that. They needed teachers to teach us what the Word of God said. They needed it. But what they missed was the apostolic and the prophetic. And, and, and they got a little bit of the evangelistic, but they, they really became a pastoral model. And we missed again what God was trying to do. So I want to really help you with this because the apostolic, the prophetic, the pastoral, the teacher, the evangelist are all important. I'm going to wait for an amen on that one. Every one of those are important. So I want to read you some scriptures, give you a little background, and show you where I'm coming from. And we're going to build into this, and we're going to look at the differences. I want you to see the differences of what's actually happening and what I believe God wants to do. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Now watch what it, how you're built. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Stop. Okay, let me stop for a minute. Your churches are built on apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Yet, most of us would have no idea who an apostle is in any given church in this town. We know who the pastor is. When we walk into the church, we'll ask who's the pastor. But we seldom ask who's the apostle. Yet, that's what the foundation of the church has to be. Now, if you want to go into cessation doctrine where they believe the apostles passed away back there then we have no churches there are no churches because the church has to be built on the apostles and the prophets with christ the chief cornerstone now it goes on to say in him the whole building is joined together raises up to become a holy temple in the lord and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which god lives by his spirit isn't that powerful amen 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Watch this. And God has placed in the church first of all, what? What is it? And what's second? 
And what's third? Teachers. Now that word teachers there is actually the same word as pastor, pastor teacher. You'll find that that gift is very similar, pastor teacher. And then it goes into miracles and gifts of healing. That represents your evangelist. And then helping and guidance in different kinds of tongues is actually the body of believers, the disciples. Okay, so first of all, what God builds in the church is the apostle. First of all. Second is the prophet. And then you come in the pastors and teachers. Now, you have to have all of them almost simultaneously. But you've got to have that, pat, that apostle. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Next week we're going to talk more about the prophet. Then we're going to talk more about the pastor. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about each of those, but I want you to understand them. Because what we've done is we've caused the five-fold ministry. Uh, God has given it to us, and we've taught it. You've heard it preached. You've read the scripture in Ephesians 4. We all know about the five-fold, the apostle, prophet. We all know it. But nobody does it. Amen. Honestly, let me ask you, what church have you ever attended where there was an apostle in the house? What church have you ever attended where there was just a prophet in the house? There was a house prophet, the prophet. Okay? So we, we talk about it, but we don't do it. What we do is we put pastors in the top. Nothing wrong with a pastor. God bless pastors. We have to have pastors. But that is not what God said. That's not what God said. I'm showing you in your Bible. So I want you to start to catch a shift here and understand something here. James Goal, I don't know if you know who that is, he's the president of of Encounters Network, the director of a, a group called Prayer Storm. He was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and he saw a vision. And on this vision, he saw the letters A-M-P written on the, on the, the thing, uh, like a chalkboard. He saw these big letters, just like A-M-P. And then all of a sudden, the letters moved around, and they spelled M-A-P. And he was, he was looking at them. He asked God, because he was in the presence of God, he said, God, what is this? And the Lord spoke to him, A stands for my apostle. And when the A becomes personal, okay, now let me stop for a moment and explain that because he explained a little bit. Not something you read about, not something you study about, not something that you hear about, but something that's actually real and personal to you. In other words, when it's actually a part of my house, when you actually know an apostle, then I'm going to amplify his voice and I'll make that place a revival center and I'll put them on my map. That's what God said. So once you establish this position, you've left this position out, I will amplify what I want to do through that congregation. I don't want to just be a church. I want to be a revival center. Amen. I want God to do something special. So, so this is powerful. Now Chuck Pierce, founder of Glory Zion Ministries, calls these areas, these revival hubs, these apostolic centers, he calls them glory hubs or freedom post. They're called a lot of different names. I don't care what you call them. But there's something that's powerful that happens out of these centers. They're not just churches. They're centers of activity where God moves. Now, Chuck Pierce says that in his vision he had in 2009, that God showed him 23 freedom posts in 23 states. And he believed that those freedom posts were across the United States in such a way, intermeshed in such a way that the whole United States could be resourced and touched by them. Rick Joyner on the other hand, Rick, have you, I don't know if you guys have heard of these names or not. These men pastor powerful churches. Uh, they're great, great men of God. He saw a revival that would break out in 12 cities. And he wrote a book, and the whole thing called The 12-City Prophecy. 
That's what it's about. And he saw circles around each of his city, about 500 miles that way, about 1,000 miles in the circumference. And each of those 12 cities would have, have, have aligned around the United States. So he, he actually drew it out on a map, did his research, and found out that 98% of all American population lived within those circles. And so he believes that God's going to pour out these revival centers in 12 locations. I don't care how many locations. I believe God's pouring them out. Right, somebody say amen. The term revival hub or apostolic center is not found in your Bible. Let's clear that up if you're a scholar in here. But it is clearly defined in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at that. You'll understand that as we go on. Now let me give you a little definition of a revival center or a hub. You can read it on the board behind me. It's focused on digging and maintaining rich wells of revival. It's a spirit-led ministry unto the equipping, awakening, and societal transformation. It is a base of tactical operation, organization, and deployment. That's what a hub is. It's a place where you and I press in by the Spirit of God. We find the power and the move and the flow of God. We dig it out. We work. We maintain it. We keep it alive. We bring others into that environment so that we can equip them. So that we can see their the transformation begin to happen in them. And the whole culture around can begin to shift an awakening happens in that region, not just in that church, in that region. And there's an operation that begins to become tactical and you deploy from that place. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what a sinner is. Now that's the same model. That's the modus operandi of the first century church. You go and study the first century church. And you'll find out that that's exactly what the apostles did. The apostle would take with him a team. Timothy, let's, Apostle Paul. Timothy, Barnabas, Titus. Whoever, he would take his team with him and he would go into a city. Whatever city. Okay, let's just make up one here. Ephesus. He goes into Ephesus and he would stay in that city until he built him a little congregation. Once he got that congregation, whatever size it was, their purpose, their operation was, let's raise up pastors and the elders and let's find a five-fold ministry and develop that in this place. So they would quickly, God was accelerating them, God was helping them, they were raising up apostles. They raised up a guy by the name of Apollos. It's in your Bible. He was an apostle. They developed an apostle. They developed evangelists. Philip, Stephen. They developed, they developed these guys. They, they put them together. And then they would leave Ephesus and they would go to the next city, maybe Corinth. And they would do the same thing. Then they'd go to the next city, maybe Philippi. They'd do the same thing. But then they would start circling back around. And the apostle would come back to the first places where he had been. He would revisit them and give them guidance and give them oversight and resource them with whatever else they might need. Usually a letter of rebuke. Oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> amen. Somebody say amen. Are you with me tonight? I don't want to bore you. I hope you're not bored. But I'm trying to help us because I believe God wants to do something and I want you to understand it. If you don't understand it, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I, I, you've been saved a long, long time. It's time for you to get in the middle of the glory. It's time for you to be a part of something that God is doing. It's the, you know what we've done for all these years? We've prayed, but we haven't prayed with victory. The difference in a victory prayer and a regular prayer is one prayer you're praying to God, the other prayer you're praying with God. When you pray with God, things happen. When you pray to God, it's a little rougher. I want to pray with Him. I want to do what He's doing. Amen. So I'm going to try to show you that. Ken Malone is the founder of Forerunner Ministries. 
He said the church has been given the keys to steward the kingdom of God in the earth and unlock his plans in the earth. I believe God has given us those keys. And I want to steward well what God's given us. I want to do well with what he's done. But probably one of the strongest uh, revival hubs, whether you, every one of these hubs you're going to discover as we go through this, have different flavors. They have different, uh, they're no, no two are alike. They're, that's what makes it a little more complex because we like cookie cutter. But no two are alike. And, and so probably one of the strongest revival hubs right now, the largest, is a group called International House of Prayer. They call it IHOP. It's out of Kansas City. Mike Bickle is the pastor. It's a great, powerful move that's happening today. Here's what he writes. We are committed to praying for the release of the fullness of God's power and purpose. To actively win the lost, heal the sick, make disciples, and impact every sphere of life. In other words, the seven mountains. Family, church, business, education, religion. Remember? The seven mountains. Okay, he says we want to impact those areas. We want to work together in relationship with the wider body of Christ and together engage in the Great Commission. So we're not trying to do it as a one-man show. We don't care what your denominational structure is. We don't care the name over your door. We're looking for people that want to engage in doing the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world. Make disciples. That's what we're looking for. We want to teach you. We don't want to, we don't want to pray for the sick. We want to teach you to pray for the sick. Amen. We don't want to pray. We want to teach you how to pray. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to, before this is done, you're going to be doing it. Not Pastor Ray and Pastor Michael, Pastor Nep. It's not pastors. It's all of us. Somebody say amen. So, so these hubs then that I'm talking about are soul winning stations. Every one of these hubs are going to be marked by a presence driven people. In other words, we're not just satisfied to come and sing a few songs. We want the glory of God to fill the house. We are driven towards that. We're hungry for it. But it's not just so that we can be satisfied. We're not here just to get a goose bump and a lizard run up our gizzard. Okay, we like it. I like it. I like to feel God's presence. Amen. But I'm not here just so I can feel it. I'm here so that that presence in that place, I can equip others. In that presence, I can, I can, I can, it becomes a, a, instead of us just being a church, we become a family. Amen. It's not just a place you go. It's a family you belong to. And, and, and so all of a sudden there's a, a strategy begins to happen. Apostolic identity begins to happen. Prophetic ministry begins to happen in that environment. And, and so there's a hunger that begins to happen in there. And people start to press in for an outpouring of God, not just for their church, but for their region that they live in. We need to see people get saved. Amen. In Fayetteville. God knows Shady Springs needs some. You guys know what I'm talking about. I won't name some of the other areas. Now I'm going to take some time and I want to show you the difference. So you guys are right with this tonight. I know I'm teaching, I'm not preaching, but I want you to understand it. We'll get to the preaching part later. Let's go to the next thing here. We're going to show you the difference between a hub and a traditional church. Now a hub, the, 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 the dynamic of it is, is transformation. We want to see people transformed. I mean their families, their businesses, their, their lives, their minds, everything transformed. That's our central focus, that God is their God. But the traditional church is not so worried about transformation. They want growth and attendance. They'll do anything to keep people coming. That's what their goal is. Now, let, let me say something right here. We're not getting rid of that. How many of you know we ought to keep people coming? 
We want growth. We want attendance. That's, that, there's nothing evil in that. It's just not enough. Okay? So it's not you either or. It's add to. We want to add to that. Transformational concepts. Okay? Now let's look at the next one. Hubs foster the Holy Ghost-powered uh, power-based ministry. We're looking, we believe in signs and wonders and miracles. That means we will actually have altar calls where we press in for that. We're not ashamed. We're not worried about what people think. We might get them healed. We might not. We don't care. We're pressing into it. Whereas in a tra- traditional church, we will, they will birth and create programs to address the needs of the people. There's a difference between the two, a vast difference. Let's look at hubs again. We want to host the glory of God for a regional purpose, not just so we can all get a goosebump and go home and say what a great service it was. But the traditional church, they want to meet the needs of the people or the community. So it really is about going home and saying how great the service was. Okay, so there's a difference. One is really about themselves. It's not going outward. It's, it's, uh, it's introverted. It's looking inward. It's take care of us, minister to us. Did I get anything out of the service? I ain't going back because I didn't feel it. It's all about us. The other is not about us. It's about reaching out. Did, did, we'll know we had good church when we have people from outside in here. You become a hub when people outside are more, more people from out there in here than th- there are of us in here. That's when, that's when it's becoming a hub. Let's look at the next one. Hubs challenge the culture. They challenge it. They engage in spiritual warfare. They will blast through ruling spirits. Traditional churches on the other side, they just want to be culturally relevant. They add cultural norms, uh, things to their norm. So, so on one side, the, the church world looks and says, man, we need lights like everybody else. We need color like everybody else. And they're all about looking like everybody else because it's cultural, it's cool, it's what everybody wants to do. But a, a hub doesn't care about that as much. We don't mind having that, but our purpose is not just so we look cool. Our purpose is to blast through demons. Through darkness to see people set free. Amen. We are, our music, everything we do has the ultimate, the, the goal of let's change the culture of this world and make it a kingdom culture. Let's bring heaven to earth. There is no sickness in heaven. There is no disease or disunity. We want that culture here. Amen. Next, they, they, they'll sacrifice plans and programs for prayer. Intercession to, to a hub church is a mandate. Pray always without ceasing. It's a mandate. It's a command. It's, a, it's something that they must do. But in a traditional church, they'll have weekly prayer meetings, and they don't really view prayer as a mandate. I didn't make it today. I had to sleep in. I was tired. I couldn't make it. Prayer to them is a hit or miss. It doesn't really matter. If I make it, I make it. I'll pray at home. I'll pray on my way to church. It's a, it's a hit or miss. Now, don't get convicted. Don't get convicted. I was raised in church my whole life, too. Okay, but I'm looking at a difference. How many of you would rather be in the top one than the bottom one? Okay, let's move forward. They'll partner with diverse voices and gifts to make a spiritual deposit. Whereas on the traditional church, they'll build it on the senior pastor gift, and they'll have other ministers in. So many churches I know, the pastor won't have an evangelist in because he might out-preach him, make him look bad. He doesn't want to look bad. He might say, he doesn't want anybody. So before a guy comes in, he'll run him down and exactly what are you going to preach, what are you going to say, and it's so molded and so fit that there's no expression other than the senior pastor's input into that church. But in a hub church, you purposely invite people in to stir up the mud. You purposely bring people in to say something that's fresh and new just to make us think. Amen. We don't have to buy everything. We might have to spit out a little fat, but we want the meat. 
Right? So we purposely are going to bring in. That's why we're bringing in Fernando Alvarez in two weeks. This guy has had 40,000 people in Ecuador. He has been in the jungles with the headhunters. This brother knows spiritual stuff that you've never experienced or understood. We need that impartation. Gustavo is an apostle to the nations. He's got churches in Japan, Italy, Syria, Jordan. He'll be coming from Jordan to here. He goes into the Middle East. He goes into, he goes into Europe and uh, South America, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia. He's got churches around the world. We want that voice in here. We're not so worried about what he says. We want the impartation, the gifting. Amen. Somebody say amen. Let's go on. Hubs make the presence of God the aim. And what's more important than anything else in the service is that God shows up. And the traditional church, they'll shy away from the radical or the Holy Spirit intensity because they don't want to offend anybody. We don't, they don't want to have to explain why that lady is flipping out up there at the altar. Amen. Amen. And you know it's true because that's the way you've been raised. You're afraid to bring them because, man, what if brother old Chris gets to rolling and running around and around? What am I going to say to him today? Oh, my God. So you sit on the opposite side to try to hide out. Shame on you. Those are signs to people that something's real. It makes you a nervous wreck because the devil, a religious devil, and you don't like it. Amen. Let's be real. But a hub purposely goes for it. Now let's go on to the next one. The, they value the fivefold ministry gifts and they embrace team ministry concepts. Let me stop for team ministry for a moment. Team ministry means we have a team like our pastoral team. We have teams that are in our city, not just out of our church, but other churches that we team with. We have teams that we work with long distance. Maybe we have some evangelists or apostles or prophets from some other states or some other nations. So there's teams that we work with. Then in the traditional church, it's not that way. It's the pastor. Everybody wants to talk to the pastor. i got to counsel the pastor. The pastor's got to marry me. The pastor's got to bury me. The pastor's got to love on me. And, and leaders can be in positions. That's okay. We, you know, we understand that we have to have a Nevin and we have to have a Dina and we have to have, uh, you know, we have to have those people. But bless God, I don't want to talk to them. I want to talk to Pastor Ray. And so, so that, that church then develops to where the pastor has to micromanage everybody else and nothing can grow. Come on. I know it's getting rough. Let's move forward. Hubs are equipping centers. It's not only a place to receive, but to equip. We want to equip you to heal the sick. We want to equip you to minister prophetically. So, so many other things. The strong focus is on depositing and activating gifts in you. We want to move from teaching, that's where we start teaching, to mentoring, that's where we help you do it, to fathering. You're doing it and we father. That's what a hub is. Let's look at what a traditional church does. They're a teaching center. They do communicate, they communicate concepts, tools, and principles with some elements of training, but they very seldom ever really go in from training to developing. See, I train somebody. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I can train a dog. But what you do is develop. Develop is why you do it, how you do it, when you do it, where you do it. If I only teach you what to do, then if I'm not there to tell you what to do, you're lost. But if you know why, when, where, and how, you can do it anywhere in the world. And you can make it work. You can figure out how to work that culture. So, so the traditional church just wants to train. They don't want to develop because when I develop you, you're going to make mistakes. Amen. And churches don't want to embrace the mistakes. But the way I've always said it, if you don't give me mistakes, you're not doing nothing. I want mistakes. I want to see that you're trying. I, and so we want to activate you. We want you to activate. Do something. 
Okay, now let's go to the next hub church. There's a constant motion in hub churches. They move, they advance, they evolve. They're constantly changing in their journey. Leaders are not afraid to receive new revelation, new light, new instruction from God as compared to the traditional church where they want to build a very safe, very comfortable, and traditional place. They strive not to rock the boat. Let's don't make anybody nervous. Amen. Now, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Are you following what I'm saying? See, there's a difference. It's not that we're out purposely to make people nervous, but that's not our biggest worry here. Our most important thing is that God shows up. Right? Okay, let's move on. Hubs train, develop, release, send, network, impart, and impact. Traditional churches, they gather, they grow, they maintain, they teach, they comfort, and they meet needs. Can you see the difference between those two? Somebody talk to me. Do you see the difference between those two? One of them is very localized. It's just let's take care of our own. Let's make sure everybody's okay. And the other is about getting, releasing, sending, pressing, occupying. The only way we can change this world is we have to occupy new territory. And the only way we can occupy new ter- territory is plant churches. And the only way we can plant churches is to disciple you and raise you up. The only way you can be discipled and raised up is you've got to try it sometime here in the house before you get out there. That means you make your mistakes here, and then you don't have to make them out there. That's what it's all about. Okay? Let's move on. Hubs release new sounds. You'll always find in a, in a hub that they're pioneering a new, a new prophetic worship and ministry. So there's a, uh, you'll, you'll find that we eventually, our goal here is to not have to sing everybody else's song, but to write our own. That come up out of our spirit, out of the house, what God's doing. Where traditional churches love to sing familiar songs... They want to gather the best local musicians, and everybody have a, we used to call them in the West Coast, sing-spirations. Everybody get together and sing-spiration, and everybody sing a song together, and we just sing all the same old, same old songs. And that's what the local church loves. They want to sing the old favorites. But a, a hub church is not worried about the old favorites that make you feel good. The hub church is all about breaking through a spiritual atmosphere and making them respond to God. It's a different, whole different dynamic. We're not trying to make us feel good. We're trying to break through the second level of heaven and bust into heaven and pull heaven to earth. Amen, somebody. Let's go forward. Hubs have open healing ministries. We don't hide in the back room. We press in. We believe for miracles and wonders. We awaken the supernatural in a region. And when I say awaken, that's not only God awakening, but you'll stir every devil there is. You will. That's what a hub will do. Next. The traditional church will pray for the sick. The pastor will do it. His team will do it. But they will not equip people to heal the sick through a team ministry. They're afraid of failure. Whereas what we're looking for is all of you to pray for the sick. Amen. And not just in church. At the gas station and at Dickies. At Dickies, they know, we know they need a healing. Let's move forward. I'm just teasing. Hubs explain the whys and the hows of spiritual outpourings. They become a leading voice in the region region concerning revivals. Now, I just taught this to my staff on Tuesday, and I can show you my, my I can show you after church if you'd like to see it. I, a, a dozen pastors have written to me asking me for these notes already because people are hungry. So we're already resourcing pastors. They're wanting to grow with us. They're wanting that we're already becoming a voice. Let's look to the next. Traditional churches teach people to love God. They teach people to move in the spirit, but they never actually show them how to do it. 
They preach about, let's all move in the Spirit. And they have no idea what that even means. I went to church and the Holy Spirit would move every once in a while. We had no idea why he did it. We had no idea why he quit doing it. We had no idea where he went. And we had no idea how to get him to come back. (laughs) It was just a hit and miss, man. If we sang the right song enough times and got enough hump up going that somehow he showed up, we don't even know how he did it. So we tried to sing that song the next service and it just didn't work. We didn't know why. Let's go on. Hubs are governing ministries in a region. We're governing in prayer, in the word, in vision, and in authority. Whereas the traditional church is focused on building a successful ministry that's filled with people. They just want the pews full. That's what they're after. To them, that is success. To the traditional church, success is noise, numbers, and nickels. That's what it is. Okay, that's what it is. Okay, and if you want to add one more, and golf. Got to be able to golf good. <laughs> I failed horribly on that. But, 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 but there's more to it. See, the, it's, now let me add that. Let me say to that. It's not that we don't need noise numbers and nickels. But we want more than that. Can somebody say amen? Are you guys following tonight? Am I going too fast, too slow? You all right? Okay. I'm not against the traditional church. I simply want you to understand the differences. There are, there's a difference. Revival hubs embrace the five-fold ministry. Our, we want to father, impart, equip, activate, and send people. We want to father you, impart to you, equip you, activate you, and release you into whatever God's called you to do. I believe God is raising up right now in our nation and around the world hubs of people that will do that. Now, what I did, where I made my mistake years ago, I planted hundreds of churches already. But where I made my mistake, I made them soldiers first. They knew how to do it. They were trained. They would do anything right now. They would attack on a drop. of a. But, but when I got sick, everything fell apart because there was no commanding general, no commanding officer anymore. Okay, so the first thing you do is not make soldiers. You make sons and you make daughters. Amen. The sons and the daughters. Now they start to carry the DNA of that house, the whys the house. They, they understand that spirit. They understand where they're at. And they can now function in an authority. At that point, some of them will become soldiers and some will not. Amen. Amen. Okay. So from sons and daughters, what a hub will do is you'll start to see a hub will start building, establishing, not just to keep them in the house, but to release them. What we want to do is get the very best we have and send them away. I know that what most churches do is that you get a guy on staff, whatever, let's just pick on Michael for a minute. Great guy, doing a great job. Never going to let him go nowhere. Okay? But in in a hub church, we're not worried. He's part of our team. We like him to stay there. But if God speaks, adios. We give our best because when you plant your best, you get the best harvest back. We're looking, amen, somebody. So we're always looking to plant, to move forward, to release people. And, and we understand that if Michael goes to Washington, D.C., his hub is not going to look like ours. The people in Washington, D.C. are a little bit different than the people in Beckley. They just are. Over there, they're just kind of like political. <laughs> and over here, they're just like not. I don't know how to say that. And so, so, so there's going to be differences. Now, also, he has a different leadership uh, gifting than I do. 
So his would look different because the leadership mandate will be different. His hub will look different than my hub will look. And, and, and so, so some people, like let's, let's use Dina. Dina loves prayer. So if she went somewhere, her church, her hub would probably have a prayer intensity to it. Whereas is, 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 if you come somewhere else, it might, like mine, will be more of a training intensity. More of a missions intensity because that's who I am. So every hub is okay. That, but they all start, listen to what I'm saying, with a mandate. Everybody say mandate. Mandate. You could go to Moses got a mandate. Isaiah got a mandate. Gideon got a mandate. Paul got a mandate. They all start with a mandate. So somewhere in the process of development, in the process of, this, of, of what God is doing in that house, in that place underneath the apostle, the pastor, as they're in that house, there's a divine discovery where all of a sudden Chris wakes up and says, Man, this is what God has laid on my heart. So at that point, we then begin to build and equip and train him, okay? We want him to be able to take that mandate that God gave him, take a team with him from this house that he's developed. Not my team, his team. He raises up his own disciples. He raises up his own people. He raises up his own evangelists, pastors. And so then he goes out with that team, and he goes into a new region, a new territory, with our support, with our resourcing, and we believe God for him to take that area. Okay, that's how you take territory. I'm I'm telling you, people say, well, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Well, okay, have a baby, put him in the crib and pray. See how long that works. That kid will die if you don't change his diapers and feed him. Somewhere you got to do something. You got to come out of prayer and act. There has to be activation. There has to be occupying. You have to do something. And so, so that's what a revival hub. Is this making sense to everybody? Now, I want to come back to where I was at earlier. This, that there, it has to be built on an apostolic anointing and a prophetic anointing. That, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. The apostolic is a governing, guiding, building anointing. The prophetic is a revelation warfare anointing. That's the difference between the two. Ephesians 2.20 says it's built on the foundations of the apostles, prophets with Christ as the foundation and chief cornerstone. So let me take a moment tonight... And look at apostolic, and then next week we'll look more at the uh, prophetic. But apostolic ministries govern, they guide, and they build. Govern means to administrate. So what that gift will do is it will not only administrate things in the natural. We need three ushers, five this, this, that. It will administrate things in the spiritual. And so it's, it's an organizational spirit that, that looks and understands there has to be an organization there has to be a trellis for the plant to grow on. The plant will fall over in the sun if there's not something for it to grab onto. So the apostolic ministry looks at it and realizes what, I'll call it this, understands the business of religion. There is, church has a business about it. And if you don't control the business, the business will control you. Okay, let me explain it this way. If we don't figure out how to spend the money right, then we don't have no money. And when we don't have no money, then what happens to us? We are now affected by the money. Now the money controls us. We don't control it. Right? So now we can't do nothing because we ain't got no money. Because we didn't administrate and, and uh, there wasn't an apostle in the house to guide the money. It was guided by a pastor. Oh, I'm just trying to help you. 
And so, so that, that apostolic ministry will look at that and say, wait a minute, if we don't function this way, if, if, we, if we run these services late, if we keep having, just let the Spirit move, brother. We're not worried about what time church gets out. Yeah, that's because you're not watching the nursery. You're not trying to get volunteers to stay back there with your screaming kids for four and a half hours. So the administrator, the, the, the apostle will think that through. He'll think, wait a minute, God can move in 20 minutes just the same way he can move in an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> Amen. You don't have to have church four and a half hours for God to move. You can have God move in two and a half minutes. Jesus' sermons were short. He didn't have a band and he didn't have a nursery. Amen. So we've got so church-oriented, we've missed what God is trying to do. I'm not against, listen, I'm trying to help you. The apostle then looks at that and says, wait a minute. If we don't conduct that right, it will change the way we have to act, which will change the way we have to believe. So, so the apostle looks and he realizes there's a tension between the spiritual and the natural. There's a tension. There, 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 there are times that God moves. The apostle's gifting will kick in. Now, every once in a while, God will tell you to override business or logic sense. God will say, spend the money when you know you don't have it. But if God didn't say it, you're going to be eating fuzz. If God said it, he'll provide. And I want to say to you, he doesn't always say that. That's occasionally from time to time. That apostolic gift is supposed to administrate that, supposed to see that, sense that, know when to move in that. You don't, it's not all the time. It's sometimes. Sometimes you have a service that runs long. Sometimes you have a song service and you never have a preaching. Sometimes you don't even need songs. You just need preaching. Sometimes you just need hollering. I don't know, but the, the apostolic gift will administrate that. It will also direct. Now, we hear a lot about, in my days, hyper-shepherding got loosed and people were so afraid of abuse. Oh, you guys are just controlling. You just control every little thing. And I, I, I know that there is that that goes on. But there's also a good side to control. Control is not always evil, my friend. If you're coming at a cliff that's 2,000 foot down and the corner is 15 miles an hour and you're coming at it at 100, you better control your car. If you don't control your car, you're going off. Control can be healthy. Control can be good. You don't drive through a school district at 115 miles an hour. You will kill babies. Are you listening to me? So control is not always evil. So there's certain protocols in a church where an apostolic ministry will step in and say, wait a minute, things need to be done decently and in order. The Bible even says so. Okay? So there's a time to prophesy. There's a time to listen. You shouldn't be jumping up and prophesying while a guy's preaching. Man, it got quiet on that. There's a time for it. God's not all disordered and all crazy. Maybe every once in a while God will break the rule, but it's every once in a while. And usually the apostle in the house will sense it and he'll say, just a minute, does somebody have a word? He'll feel it. He'll interrupt it. Does somebody have a word? Is what's going on? You know what we need right now? We need the musicians to come. And he'll call for musicians or he'll call for this. Otherwise, it's chaos. We had a dear friend this last week had somebody walk in in a southern exposure shirt. Cut off to the belly. Stood at the back of the church service with a bucket full of little round balls, colorful balls. And during church was rolling them down the aisle. They roll down and bounce up and bounce. How many of you know that's very distracting? Very, very distracting in a service. Amen. It's hard to concentrate when balls are bouncing around. Some idiots in the back rolling them down the aisle. Somebody say amen. Somewhere you got to have 
some order, some direction, some something. And that's what the apostle does. Now, people that don't like that will always call it, you know, you're quenching the spirit, my brother. You're quenching the spirit. Actually, what's happening is we're quenching your lawless flesh and carnality. God doesn't interrupt himself, my friend. What you have to do is you have to learn how to control your flesh life or your spirit life will be all goofed up. Is that right? This Bible says the spirit is subject to the prophet, to the, to the prophet. You can control that. I was in church one time and this guy just jumped up, took off running. We had a pole in the middle of the building and he ran smack into it. Bap! I mean, just ran bap right into the pole. Big old knot on his head, blood out the side of his lip. And he told me, God made me do that. God, God didn't make you do that. You should have looked up and seen the pole and you shouldn't have been running during the middle of church. God doesn't run people into poles. Somebody say amen. So now I'm also, I want to say this. There are times when a service is absolutely, this is a crazy terminology, but I'll call it divine chaos. I've been in church services where all of a sudden people are shaking and they can't stop. People start laughing. People start crying. People start running. I've seen it. The world would condemn that service, but somehow you just know that God's right in the middle of it. That this is God. God's in this. God's doing it. And something about that service, everybody can feel the presence of God in it. Amen. Somebody say amen. That's what a governor, that's what an apostle does. He's watching those dynamics. His spirit is speaking to him. He's gifted. It's like he's got a sense. It's like, it's like a bat that can find an insect without being able to see. He's got a sense. He can just feel it. It's a gift that God gives. It doesn't make him better than anybody else. It's the gift he has. Like a bloodhound can smell. Like a fish can breathe underwater. It's a sense that he has. It's something that he has inside of him. And so he's, he's, like, he's, he's got an ability to guide and exercise authority. To exercise authority means he has the ability to check out something. He can check out that. He'll check out a staff member, a worship leader. He'll check, he'll check out things and his spirit will, will resonate. Something's wrong here. Something's not right here. Then he'll have the wisdom, usually, not always, but he tries to have the wisdom to know when to say something about it and when not to say something about it. Some things God will take care of. Somebody say amen. Okay, so that's what, uh, that's what he does. He, he, this is an apostle. He, he guides the congregation. He, he, he leads them into kingdom. He, he, he understands that people follow by example, and so he's out there with them. I think one of the great quotes is from St. Francis. He said, preach always, and if necessary, use words. It's powerful. So he shows the way. He shepherds. He escorts. He, he activates. He's like a signpost. He's like a, a landmark. He's the opposite of misguide, mislead. Uh, he, he, he's to lead, to be a guide, you have to be in the front. And so an apostle is that person that's leading and guiding into a new territory. He's sensing what's happening. He's governing. When do, we, when do we start church? When do we just build our team? When do we, what neighborhood, what part of the city do we go to? How do we go there? What do we do? That's his gift. That's the way it works. Okay? Now, once he locates that, he says, okay, we're going to move towards, just use something here that we can think of. We're going to move towards Shady Springs. Once he feels and senses that's the direction, then he needs that prophet to say, here's how we do it. Here's where we go. Here's what God's saying. Here's what God's doing. Let's start praying. Let's start pulling down the powers over Shady. Let's start doing this. Let's start. And that prophet starts to do that. Doesn't need the prophet to tell him what's going on in Fayetteville. He ain't going there. 
See, the problem, the problem is we have people doing all kinds of stuff everywhere and nothing's getting done because the apostle hasn't guided it, hasn't governed it. Now, once we get there, once the apostle and the prophet get you there, then you're going to need pastors. You're going to need teachers. You're going to need evangelists. The, the, the apostle and the prophet, they can't do that. They're not designed to do that. They're not equipped to do that. So God will put the five-fold ministry in there so that the saints can be strong. Is this making sense to everybody? I know I'm going a little slow, but I want you to follow this. So Ephesians 4 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature. We become mature. We attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me ask you, have you ever been in part of a church or been a church that had the full measure of Christ? I haven't, but I long for it. It's possible because the Bible says so. Come on, somebody. I want the full measure of Christ in your life. Can somebody say amen? Help me out here. Then you will no longer, he says, be infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, you'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined together, held together by every supporting ligament. That means everybody in the church is a part of it. Growing and building itself up in love, and each person doing their part. So hubs are not a one-man show. They're a group of people working out together. And what we have today, church, all over the world is pastor-driven churches that's a one-man show, and they're burning out. Listen to what the New York Times just reported. Clergy now suffer from obesity, hypertension, and depression at rates higher than any other American. Their use of antidepressants, this is preachers, has risen while their life expectancy has fallen. And many of them would change their professions if they could. That was just written. That's what's happening to the clergy in our, our America. George Barna reports, he's the guy that does all the statistics and studies, 53% of pastors believe the church, the church, has very little positive impact in the world around them. They don't see how their church is affecting their city at all. They don't believe their church is doing anything really for their city except paying the bills for their building and keeping them alive. It's a salary and a building. That's what 53% of pastors believe that. 60% believe being in ministry has a negative impact on their own personal passion for God. They're so burned out with the people they don't even love God no more. 60% of them. Four, only 4% of all preachers believe that they have a vision for their church. 4% of churches, the pastor believes he has a vision for his church. Now, can I tell you, God wants to do something new. Come on. God wants to do something new. Are you guys with me? What time is it? I'm going to stop here pretty quick. There's a church life and there's kingdom life. Those are two different things. We've been raised in our lives in church life. We've become so church-minded that we don't have a kingdom mind anymore. I want you to understand that. The church is the traditional idea. The hub is the kingdom idea. It looks at the world different. God is wanting to take the world by storm. I'm going to share one story, and then we're going to stop. I'm not going to get to Ezekiel's bones or none of that. I just want to share out of Mark, the fifth chapter, quickly. One story. 
because this is a prophetic message for this church at this hour. Really, for every church. Mark 5, 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her, so she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Let me stop. Jairus is a religious ruler in a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, that religious ruler means that he has uh, been assigned, officially appointed by the people of that, 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 that synagogue, the elders of that synagogue, to, to look after the building, to take care of the contents of the building, and to arrange the liturgy of the worship. Basically, he's your typical pastor. He mows the grass, takes care of the garbage, and preaches the sermon. That's what he does. That's who he is. Now, the little girl always represents, women always represent religion. So he's saying to him, my church is dying. My little daughter is dying. It's a picture. It's a, Jesus is telling a story to help us understand something in the kingdom. It's not just a real, it's a real story, but it's about kingdom ideas. He's sharing a story to help us understand kingdom. He's basically saying, my daughter's dying. My church is dying. Now, he's the ruler, and who has he come to? The most controversial prophet in the land. Every synagogue, or every, excuse me, every Pharisee, and every Sadducee, they're talking bad about Jesus. Nobody likes Jesus. Jesus is the bad guy. But Jairus has said, I'm so sick and tired of church. I can't stand it. It's dead. I can't take no more dead services. So he goes to Jesus and he starts pleading for help. Okay? This is very unique that he would do this. He's moving outside of the religious box. None of the other religious rulers had done this. None of the other leaders or denominations or whatever you want to call them have done this. But this is a lesson we all need to learn. He said, I'm, I can't. We're dying. My family's dying. My heart's dying. My church is dying. I'm dying. So he, he has boldness. And he steps out of where his little world is at, taking care of the little church. And he comes into a whole new idea. I've got to do something. I need to talk to that guy. He's got power. That guy's moving in kingdom. That guy's moving in anointing. There's something happening in that guy. So watch what he, he starts pleading. The Bible said he, pled, he pleads. That's what we should be doing. It didn't sound like a plead out there. That's what we should be doing. We should be pleading with God, saying, God, we, can't, we, we, we don't want our city to go down like this. We don't want West Virginia to be number 50. We don't want Beckley to suffer. We don't want our children to have to grow up in all this drugs and all this stuff. We, we're tired of this. We want our church to have life in it. We want to change. We don't want these old ways no more. He starts pleading with him. There's a desperation in him. I'm, my daughter's dying. My city's dying. My church is dead on a doornail. The worship is sucking fuzz. Most churches that is. It's just death warmed over. Thank God we got good worship, but some churches really don't. It's horrible. And so there's a hunger. He says, man, i got to have an equipping. How, you have some kind of power to heal. I need it. I need to know how you heal. Come to my house. Come to my house. I need to know how you do this. He, he doesn't want to see him do it. He wants to know how to do it. He's trying to figure it out. It's powerful. 
He's seeking the power of God. He's seeking the presence of God. He invites it into his house. He's a ruler. He's going to get kicked out of the denomination. That'd be like us inviting the Pope to our house. But see, remember, revival hubs are more interested in hosting the presence of God than they are about what people care about them. Somebody say amen. And so here he is. When they came to the home, the synagogue leader, of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing outside. Professional mourners are there crying because she died. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. The Bible says, but they laughed at him. So he put them all out. He took the child's father and the mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha Kuam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up, began to walk around. She was 12 years old. 12 is a very important number. And they were completely astonished. Now, in the natural, I'm almost done here, Jairus' daughter is dead, stone dead. Because he's a ruler, the synagogue has brought in Hundreds of professional wailers. They just stand around and cry. He's going to get 30 days of wailing paid for by the church. We have viewings that last four hours. They went 30 days. 30 days people walked around with flutes, cried, and played violins. That's what they did. Jesus comes up on this scene, and he looks past all of that commotion, and he looks into the spirit realm, and he saw life. He didn't see death. He saw life. And he boldly declared what he saw. So that's like you and I walking into a dead, dry church where it's, it's like moths and dust. And you walk in and somehow you see life. And so you stand up in that pulpit and you declare what you're seeing. You declare. So he starts now. Watch what Jesus is doing. He's speaking now into the spirit. He's speaking now and releasing vision into that territory, into that region. He's speaking it. He's declaring it. He's, he's authorizing it. Now, this is absurd to all the traditional thinkers. They're just looking. But he is moving now in boldness and in bravery. He's looking beyond all of that stuff. And he boldly is declaring, almost like Star Trek, his intentions for that region. His intentions. He looks at that girl. He knows that she represents. He understands what's going to happen. I'm preaching on it 2,000 years later. He knows I'll be preaching on it. He knows hundreds of preachers will be preaching on it. So now he's going to set something in motion for his kingdom. He's going to put something in motion that we can all understand. And so he speaks and he boldly declares his intentions. The enemy had delivered a death blow to this 12-year-old. 12 is the number of, of spiritual completeness, perfection, and authority. So what he's going to do is he says, I want to show you something. He, here, now, let me teach you for a moment. I want to show the world. I want all my kingdom to understand how you move from an old wineskin to a new wineskin. We're going to move from travail, all of this, all of this, uh, or excuse me, from all this tradition, all this wailing, to a, a travail of spirit. I'm going to move through it. We're going to move from all your placating, and I'm going to proclaim. We're not going to talk about it no more. We're going to proclaim it. We're not going to maintain for 30 days. We're going to multiply right now. I'm going to cause life to come out of death. Okay? We're not going to entertain. We're going to equip. We're not here to just do a, a good song service and hear a good sermon. We're going to equip. Now, fear had caused those people to reject that whole idea. 
They was rejecting the idea that something could come alive. But Revival Hubs, listen to me, will partner with that idea. Revival Hubs will say, you know what? We're going to speak something positive into a negative world. Come on, somebody. We're not going to sit around like this. We're not going to let this happen. We're going to represent Jesus to the world. We're going to have that same declaration, that same boldness, that same power. How many of you love church with a passion? I mean, you want passion in your church. Okay, so the sad fact is most people have become lukewarm instead of on fire. They quench the spirit rather than bleed for the gifts anymore. They're so dread and dry that you can't get nothing out of them. One third of the world today is is a mess. There, There was a third world believer, he said these words. It's amazing what the church in the West has been able to do and able to achieve without the Holy Spirit. Now that's pretty sad. He's shocked at what we could do without the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop right there. But I want to tell you, we want this church to be a revival hub. We want it to be a center of God. We want to blast through whatever it is that oppresses us and pushes us back, makes us quiet, makes us afraid to come to an altar, makes us sit in the back, makes us hide out. No, no, we're not going to do that no more. We're going to press in. We're going to learn how to press in. We're going to learn how to push in. And if you don't want to do that, you got the wrong guy. Because that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I'm just telling you. If you want the traditional, there's a whole lot of, there's, are all over town. Go anywhere you want. I'm not going there. I'm going for the supernatural. I'm going to occupy territory. I'm going to pull down demons. I'm going to lift up Christ. And I want to plant churches. I want to occupy. I want to see prophets and pastors and disciples and teachers raised up from this house. Not in words, but in actual life. We want to take some of you and your fat little pudgy faces and send you out. Amen. We love you. We care about you. We don't care if you're, if you're good looking like me or ugly like somebody else. We don't care if you're fat, skinny, tall, short, red-headed, no-headed. Well, we knew you needed to have a head. But without hair. We're not worried about that. We want to see you impact nations. And I want to impact not only just our region. We'll start here. But we want to impact nations. Some of you will actually give your life on foreign soil. And God's going to do that. But we have to press in for it. It's not a piece of cake because the devil will resist. That's why we'll need the prophetic to see where the devil's at. To know how to move through that. We'll have to have that. The apostle will govern it, but the prophet will see it. Then the teacher will supply and, 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 and give line upon line. The pastor will supply and make sure that the, the needs are met. And the evangelist will keep calling ranks and come on, join us. Come on, join us. Come on, join us. Amen. Is this making sense to everybody tonight? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the great hearts in the people in this church service tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the training and teaching spirit you've allowed to come into this room to help us understand and not forget what we've heard. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, let us lock these words into our spirit. Let us be like Jairus, who will rise up and step out of the religious norm And press in and be bold to come to a God who's bold. To come to a God who's active and alive and quickened in life. Help us to be like that in Jesus' name. Now I mentioned to you early, not as a boast, but to help you understand, I've got a lot of pastors asking for these notes. You know why they're asking for these notes? Because they're in the front lines. Nobody's ever taught them. They don't know. They went to seminary. You don't learn this stuff at seminary. 
Okay, I'm not, I'm not boasting. That's not a boast. I'm just saying take good notes because if you're going to go, which we plan to send you, you're going to need this stuff. You'll be calling me later. Pastor Ray, I remember one time you preached that. Take notes. Get the CDs. Listen to it because you're going to need this stuff. When you start occupying, you're going to have to fall back on this. That's 40 years of talking to you. That's 1,200 churches I'm talking to you right now, helping you to understand how to go forward. Are you understanding? We want this church to be a mobile active movement stand with me come on jared let's lead one song we're gonna let these precious folks go home because we're wearing out our workers in the back come on let's worship together come on worship that will ever come close nothing can compare you are living one more thing before we get out of here Easter's coming Easter's a big day for people people go to church on Easter okay so invite people be a disciple not a Christian invite people I'm going to be preaching on who is this Jesus who is this Jesus it'll be a good solid message for them to learn who he is 
We're going to tell you who he is. It's an amazing sermon. You'll enjoy it. This Sunday, I'll be preaching on the conflict of delay on your road, your journey. All of us have delays and things. We wonder why God hasn't healed our, touched our children. Why this? Why that? And we're on the journey to our destiny, and yet we have delay. How do you deal with that? We're going to talk about that a little bit on Sunday. Remember, tomorrow night, we'll see you at the Chick-fil-A. We're going to tear us up some chicken. Amen. We're going to have us some chicken tomorrow night. So don't forget that. We're going to have a great time. What else? To, and don't forget, Sunday, come early, and let's make Jeff cook us waffles. God bless you guys. You love, we love you. You're dismissed in the love of the Lord.